Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the New Books Network. I'm Maurice Ardouin, one of the hosts for the podcast, Queer Voices of the South. Today, I'm talking to Dr. Daniel M. Harrison about his book, Live at Jackson Station, Music, Community, and Tragedy in a Southern Blues Bar, which is just being released this January 2021 from the University of South Carolina Press. Here's a little bit about the book. The smoke was thick, the music was loud, and the beer was flowing. In the fast and loose 1980s, Jackson Station Rhythm and Blues Club in Hodges, South Carolina, was a festive late-night roadhouse filled with people from all walks of life who gathered to listen to the live music of high-energy performers. Housed in a Reconstruction-era railway station, the Blues Club embraced local Southern culture and brought a cosmopolitan vibe to the South Carolina backcountry. Over the years, Jackson Station became known as one of the most iconic blues bars in the South. It offered an exciting venue for local and traveling musical artists, including Widespread Panic, The Swimming Pool Cues, and uh, Bob Margolin, Tinsley Ellis, and the R&B legend Nabby Brown, who loved to keep playing long after sunrise. The good times ground to a terrifying halt in the early morning hours of April 7, 1990. A brutal attack and apparent hate crime on the owner, Gerald Jackson, forever altered the lives of all involved. In this fast-paced narrative, Jackson Station emerges as a cultural kaleidoscope that served as an oasis of tolerance and diversity in a time and place that often suffered from undercurrents of bigotry and violence, an uneasy coexistence of incongruent forces that have long permeated Southern life and culture. Here's a little bit about the author. Dr. Harrison. He earned a, a BA in social sciences from the college from the, from New College of the University of South Florida and an MS and PhD degrees from Florida State. He is currently professor of sociology at Lando University and he lives in Greenwood, South Carolina with his wife, their two daughters, three dogs and two cats. Harrison's other work has appeared in journals such as Media, Culture and Society, Sexualities and Current Perspectives on social, in Social Theory. Welcome to the podcast Dr. Harrison. Thank you, Morris. I'm happy to be here. Great. How did you come to write this book? You tell a little bit about that in the beginning. To, to tell our listeners how you how you came about this project. Sure. Well, this project, uh, I first started thinking about this project when I was actually finishing up my earlier book, which was called uh, Making Sense of Marshall Ledbetter, which was a story about uh, a young man, a Florida State honor student who broke into the Florida State uh, Capitol um, one morning back in uh, 1991 as some sort of uh, political protest. And uh, Marshall Ledbetter actually uh, ended up being institutionalized and uh, and he was diagnosed as being uh, manic depressive and, 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 and that whole story, uh, which happened a few years before I, I got to Florida State uh, University, um, is all about kind of youthful rebellion and and kind of politics and, and idealism and uh and uh struggles for you know social justice and so on and so forth and when i finished up that book um i you know authors always need to have a second book in lined up and, and one of the big questions that people ask you know you know sometimes which is a, a, a little bit awkward is someone said well what are you working on next uh, and, and luckily, I had a really good project, which was uh, lined up next, which was the Jackson Station project. And I first heard about Jackson Station uh, a few years after I moved to Greenwood, South Carolina. I teach at Lander University. And um, my wife and I uh, both are, uh, you know, jam band, uh, you know, fans. And we've seen, you know, the widespread panic and, and fish. I never saw the Grateful Dead, but you know we really like that that style of, of music and, and and love going to you know those shows or we used to like going to those shows before you know the pandemic and before we had kids and and so on and so forth and so I'd I'd heard these rumors about widespread panic playing 
in my little town of Greenwood, South Carolina, which is not a huge metropolis. And normally when you think about jam bands, you think about, uh, you know, them playing at Red Rocks and Madison Square Gardens and, and just, you know, the Fox Theater in Atlanta, for example, and other venues like that. And I couldn't believe the widespread panic had somehow played in in, in my neck of the woods. And so I did a little research and, and, and found uh, out that they had played uh, at this little a hole-in-the-wall club called Jackson Station, uh, which was an, an old railroad depot back in the day. And I, you know, checked out the story with some other people, and they found out that it was it was all true. And then I heard the terrible news that uh, Jack, that the Gerald Jackson, the gay owner of the club, had uh, been viciously attacked uh, by a maniac in the parking lot uh, one night with a bush axe. And so uh, that got me thinking. Hmm, that's kind of interesting. You know, the Marshall Ledbetter book it was a little bit of a of a, of a true crime, you know, non literary uh, or literary nonfiction, uh, you know, work, I should say. And so I, I kind of asked myself, well, you know, I wonder what happened with uh, Gerald Jackson and this attack. And and then I was thinking, you know, maybe I could link it up to a discussion of, of the music. And 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 the more I dug into it and the more I started talking to, you know, the the locals and, you know, the musicians and other people associated with Jackson Station, I just found out that it was a, a an incredibly uh, special place, a really kind of extraordinary space in the South um, during the uh, 1970s and the 1980s. And so for the last uh, going on six six years or, or so, I've been spending a lot of time, uh, you know, researching Jackson Station and learning all about it and, and then uh, putting some thoughts to paper. And so the book is is the end result. Wow. Uh, thank you. That um, and, and let me congratulate you. That book, uh, your book has so many entrees for different types of readers. I, I love that it's got a bit of history. It's got a lot of a lot about the Southern culture. It's got a lot that that music, the impresario idea of Gerald Jackson, that he brought in all these musicians um, and the um, diversity and inclusion um, that that place represented. So that book, it, your book, I hope is going to do so well and uh, touch, uh, invite readers from all places. Uh, because when I was reading, I, I was kept going, wow, this is going to be so cool when it turns into a movie. <laughs> <laughs> because you know, I could see the beginning of the movie with the, 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 the a vision of them hauling that railroad uh, station, picking it up and moving it onto the property uh, of the Jacksons. So um, it's it's so visual. You have so many ways to tell your story. You have so much uh, research in there. It is it is. You are not academic, but it does not read like a tome. It reads like a thriller kind of. Sometimes you're going, wow, there's so much in here. So congratulations. Uh, I, I want you to talk. Tell us about South Carolina. Set us set the scene up in the '80s, in the '70s, when all this was happening. What was that? What's the South Carolina not, uh, like that uh, compared to now? Because it is different. It certainly is different, but in many respects, it's not all that different. And you know, as we are speaking here, you know, right now, um, you know, there's lots of lots of news is coming out of the state of Georgia, uh, and, uh, and 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 Georgia is you know. Is is on the cusp of, of turning into a blue state, the new Georgia, the blue Georgia, as they're as they're talking about, and and I'm, I'm not going to, you know, count all the chickens before they're hatched, and and so on and so forth. But um, you know, people are talking a lot about the urban rural divide in in this country, and uh, you know, South Carolina uh, has always been a little bit more rural than urban, although. It is like Georgia. It increasingly, it it you know you, you see a lot of growth in the Charleston area, in you know the Myrtle Beach area, Greenville area. Columbia is really kind of a, a booming you know city now as well. But back in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties, it was a pretty sleepy place. You know there wasn't a lot of uh, you know technology. Obviously, the internet wasn't invented yet, and these were the days of just very limited. You know, television access, you know, uh, cable, I think, emerged in, you know, the the mid 1980s. Uh, it was after uh, the Vietnam War, um, which was a very traumatic time for, you know, all of the country and especially the people coming home. Uh, Gerald Jackson was a Vietnam vet. He was a medic. He was a Navy medic in uh, in, in the Vietnam War. And he 
uh, helped, you know, wounded Marines. And so he saw a lot of death and a lot of, you know, heartbreak and tragedy overseas. Um, and, and he came back and he was sort of at a crossroads because, you know, he was discharged from the, uh, you know, uh, from the military, the, 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 the war was over and he, he worked for some special needs, uh, for, with some special needs children, uh, in Clinton, South Carolina for a couple of years, but his, his real dream was to open up this, this blues bar. And at the time, um, Hodges and, and Greenwood County was was very rural, um, you know, very agricultural. Uh, the pace of life was was very, you know, slow. I would say in in comparison to how it is now, the cost of living was was very reasonable, though. And so there were a lot of people who were, uh, you know, were what we might consider, you know, quite maybe poor in, in in the sense of not having a lot of money, but they didn't need a lot of money because rent was cheap and and food was relatively cheap and 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 beer was cheap and and uh, and coming out of, out of the Vietnam War, the people I've talked to is is you know telling me that it was actually a fairly happy time then because you know the war was over. Um, you know, this was the seventies and and in, in the nineteen eighties, I think you started to have more of a of kind of a of a, of a me centered you know ethos with you know Reagan conservatism and so on and so forth. But at at, at the tail end of the nineteen seventies, I think there was this attitude of you know let's celebrate, uh, you know let's let's party, let's let's focus on having a good time, uh, let's let's try to put some of the the darkness of the you know Vietnam War uh, you know years behind us. Right. Um, the the, um, the 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 I'm from the South. Um, I'm from Louisiana, deep South. Um, I'm also from a very very rich musical heritage state. Um, and uh, as I was reading your book, it it gave me so many flashbacks to growing up, um, being a young adult in Louisiana. We had our venues, um, and you mentioned some of them in the book. Uh, and in Louisiana and other places in the South. Um, I want you to tell us about how Gerald Jackson came from that background and became um, a, a, a music. I, I, I use the word impresario. He actually nurtured people. He brought bands in place and, and they were, they were from diverse backgrounds, um, pulling diverse audiences. Um, it was not a gay bar, but it was run by two gay men. Um, very inclusive. Uh, that whole piece of this story is fascinating, and that's that's one of the reasons why it, you're perfect for our podcast. We we talk about people, uh, voices, uh, uh, queer people from the South, yeah, um, and the differences uh, uh, that uh, the, the changes uh, queer people have affected, not just in uh, things like music, but also in literature and all kinds of arts. And so Gerald Jackson was one of those people. He was an impresario with music, but he also made some some major a major difference in the state's history. Now you can't you can't deny that what he did will never go away. It's something that he made a, a lasting imp- impression. Yes, I think you're exactly right, and I really appreciate that comment because that was precisely what I wanted to convey. Um, you know, that's kind of one of the underlying themes of, of the book is, uh, you know, focusing in on the biography of, of Gerald Jackson and how someone, you know, born in kind of, you know, backwoods, very conservative, um, you know, very traditional, uh, quite Christian, you know, uh, Hodges, South Carolina, um, could grow up to be this proud, uh, confident gay man in the South. And, um, I think that, uh, you know, talking to his, his, uh, friends, uh, I think he knew very early on that he was gay and it was something that he was just never ashamed of at any point in his life. And I think after, uh, serving in Vietnam, and uh, just dealing with just all the death and the misery. I mean, I'm sure you and your listeners know just so much about the Vietnam struggle and, and just, you know, just the, the just how bad it was over there and, and just, you know, people just getting shot left and right, stepping on, you know, landmines and then all the civilian, you know, I mean, he just saw so much. And so when he came back, you know, he was he was hardened. And he was strong and he was tough and he wasn't going to let anybody intimidate him. Um, 
And um, so I, I chalk that up to, um, you know, generally speaking, his innate, uh, very eccentric, you know, kind of personality. Um, but but he always had a way of, of getting along with everybody. And that was why he was, you know, perfect for uh, being a, a club uh, you know, owner, music promoter, because he could just, you know, relate to anybody. He could talk to anybody. He could talk to all of his customers. And so, um, so all of these different kind of cultural groups, you know, would, would just fall in love with Gerald and they, and, 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 and the bikers would go and they would claim Jackson station as their own. And then the gays and the lesbians would say, no, this is our bar. And then the alternative college students would, would come in and, and, and they would, you know, claim their territory. And then you have the blues aficionados would say, this is the best blues bar in the, in, in the South. And, and it really was kind of this, uh, you know, kaleidoscope of these different identities. And Gerald Jackson was at the center of it, at the center of it. And his, his, uh, gayness i would say or his queerness was was at the center of it too right um he like you said he was so um able to uh welcome all types um you mentioned uh you you write about widespread panic they really didn't do blues that wasn't their kind of venue but he brought them in and suddenly um it it it, it showed it was one of the things that i think show, showed him that he was right his his instincts were correct bring good music in it doesn't matter what it is and people will come and like you said there were various audiences for different types of music but a lot of people from up who preferred other or liked uh, other types of music would show up as well and then begin to broaden you the, the the whole the whole scene began to broaden the awareness with um the the, the area uh so um yeah precisely yes and um and what's really interesting too is is the is the proximity of of uh, Hodges, South Carolina, to Athens, Georgia, actually, and a lot of and that's where Widespread Panic is from. I mean, REM is from there. You know, Love Tractor and, and B52s, for example, and um, and because of that, um, Jackson Station represented a really good venue for a lot of the Athens bands to play. Uh, which was a lot closer than Washington D.C. or New York City, and at the time, the, there now there are a ton of, of you know music venues at, in Athens, but but in the seventies and eighties, there really weren't. Right, that, they were little small places, uh, but nothing on that scale at all, and nothing with that much uh, variety um, going on. Everything it was really niche. Um, I, that's when I was telling you, I, I grew up. I was a teenager in the seventies. Um, and so I, I got to see a lot of the cultural shift from the way music happened happened then and the way it's happening now. Um, I, I, I love that this is the part of the book that was so informative to me because I had no idea how broad it was, mm-hmm. um, uh, how many things were happening. And, in, and it, it, there were other, you mentioned other venues um, uh, in Atlanta and, and neighboring states. Um, but this one um, pre- prevailed, I think, um, because of its chemistry. Um, I, I, and I, I don't want to, I, we don't have enough time to spend as much and make this, this, this book could be just about music, um, but yeah. it's not, it's not. So we got a lot to talk about. Um, <laughs> so I, I, I don't want to jump too far, but, um, tell us about, um, um, Gerald Jackson and his, his mother, she was involved, his partner was involved making this work. Um, and they, they, uh, they, they gained the respect of the community, um, in a way that um, a lot of people would be surprised about to hear, I think. Um, and, and yeah, go yeah. ahead. Yeah, that's that's a very fascinating part of the story. Um, Gerald's father, unfortunately, passed away. Uh, I believe he was in his early to mid fifties when Gerald was uh, thirteen, and so uh, that left uh, Gerald's mother a widow. And Gerald also had an older sister, Ellen. Um, but Gerald's grandfather had been in the Hodges area um, as as a grocery store merchant. Uh, he had a a the a, a Jackson General Store, which was actually on the same piece of property that uh, Jackson Station uh, was on, um, going back to the uh, '30s, and um, and so. The Jackson family was well established in the Hodges and 
the Greenwood area. Um, after Gerald's father died, his mother uh, had to take over the the store, and she did that uh, fairly successfully. But she had difficulty kind of managing it uh, herself, and then and eventually she ended up you know renting out the property and so on and so forth. But but uh, Mama Jackson, uh, as as people refer to Miss Elizabeth uh, Jackson, was was really kind of a, a force of nature. And uh, and and uh, sometimes uh, Gerald would refer to her as the uh, old white lady, <laughs> in in a, in a very good natured uh, right. sort of a, a way. Uh, but she had a stake in the club, and and when the when the club opened, she would have been in her uh, early to mid sixties, and, uh, and and then she um, passed away in. Uh, 2010, I believe. So, you know, she was there through the duration. Um, she was actually working the club the night that Gerald was was killed. Um, or I'm sorry, not killed, attacked. Sometimes I, I confuse myself because it's almost as if he did die that night, but he didn't. Um, but she was a she was a, a some sort of a, a partner in, in the club. Uh, people tell me that she was the main financial backer of the club. Uh, she took the 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 dorm money, and uh, after paying the bands, uh, she she just took the rest. And um, it's unclear how much she gave back to Gerald and Steve. But the uh, my sense is that they basically got the bar, and then she got the door after giving uh, you know paying the bands what they needed, and uh, and. And and on door, and we need to remember that this club uh, opened at, at, at five in the evening, and it went until five in the morning. And it wasn't uh, uncommon for people st- to still be arriving at the club at two o'clock in the morning, you know, three o'clock in the morning. Uh, right, because it was an after-hours venue. Um, it drew a lot of people from when everything else closed. They all- Precisely. And so she would still be on that door collecting a cover charge. And you might have driven in from Charlotte or Atlanta or Charleston or someplace. And the first person you meet is this uh, old white lady at the door right. Um, right. Who, who demands a cover charge on you. And if she didn't like the look of you either, if she thought that you were you know, giving her some lip or if you were you know, too uh, intoxicated or, or something, or she would, she, would, she would not let you in. Right. And, I love and, that about her. Yeah. She, she, yeah. Was, she, watched, she watched out. Um, so um, you, the, the, she, she had some business experience because you, you talked about that. Um, but Gerald had his war experience. Um, but they all figured out how to run this big old place. They had a kitchen. They, they, they served food. Um, they, this, w- this was a, 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 like a, a composite a package deal. When you were there, you were there, you could be there for the night and have all your needs taken care of. Um, and she, uh, and, and Gerald, uh, they, like I said earlier, they nurtured these groups, these bands, because, um, they weren't, uh, the bands at the time, uh, weren't treated so well at other places, but Jackson station was known for being very hospitable. Um, to to these groups, they would have their own special place in the back where they could hang out and eat and uh, get ready and things like that. Um, so um, I, I found that all very endearing. Actually, it's a family operation. They figured out how to do it, and they did it beautifully. Yes, and we need to also remember the other, you know, leg in the in the stool uh, in the three legged stool, which is Steve Bryant. And and Steve was Gerald's long term companion, and he was uh, basically the manager of the place. And so uh, Gerald um, was the, you know, he was he was you know with his mother basically the owner of the club and the promoter, and he was the host. And uh, Steve Bryant, um, who was a little bit younger than than Gerald, he was uh, basically responsible for the day to day operations and making sure that you know they had enough grilled cheese sandwiches and so on and so forth, and that you know the bar was stocked and so on and so forth. And 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 that triumvirate, uh, you know, really was very very powerful. And uh, it was, uh, and I don't think it could have happened without any one of those three individuals. Right, and definitely, you could you could tell um, that it, it was it was one of these uh, efforts that it seemed uh, everybody had a natural place, like you you said, uh, Steve. Um, 
and uh, Gerald and the mother each did something that complemented the, everything else. So really, there were there were no little warring factions about who was going to do what. They, it just fell right into place. It was so natural, um, and it lasted for about a good decade, right it, before the yes. tragedy. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, so so this is where we get into that piece that there's the word tragedy in the title of your book. Tell us about that. Um, you mentioned that uh, you, 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 uh, earlier that he was um, he was attacked. Tell us about that. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, I think that if it hadn't been for the attack, then I don't think this would be necessarily worthy or have the value of, of being a, a full length kind of book to be honest with you, because I'm sure that we could, and, and I love New Orleans too. I've, I've, I've been there I, a number of times, not not in a while, unfortunately, but New Orleans is is one of my favorite Southern, city, uh, Southern cities for sure. And I just really appreciate the, the spirit and, and the vibe and the culture and the music and everything there. Um, but you're right, for about a decade, um, Jackson Station was this thriving blues club this iconic and um very eccentric you know club in the south it, it, it opened up in 1978 as kind of a as a salon and they started having live music in 1982 um and then for the next nine years they had a ton of music and you can look at the appendix of the book and, and see all of the bands that that played there some of whom we've already talked about and so on and so forth and the club was getting very, very successful. You had Tinsley Ellis, who's one of the premier blues guitarists in the state of Georgia. He nominated it as being the ultimate Southern Roadhouse. Um, the band, um, uh, is it Pogo? Uh, what's the name of the The Buffalo Springfield band. Is it Pogo? And, and, oh, I, I Poco. Think you're right. Poco, yes, I'm sorry. Yeah. Poco, Poco played there. Um, and they were, you know, they were getting just large crowds. There was a big scene in Athens and, and the students from Athens would come over people from all over, you know, South Carolina would come and so on and so forth. And Jackson station in a way became kind of a victim of its own success. Um, some of the earlier patrons, um, were a little nostalgic for the earlier days when it was a little bit more, you know, small time and a little bit more family and you could go and still have kind of a conversation. But uh, there came a point in time in the later eighties when you would have hundreds of cars in the parking lot and you would have a huge line of people at three o'clock in the morning, still trying to get into the club and which was great because everyone loves the the business and the money and so on and so forth, but it kind of became too much. And, uh, and I think that's what happened on this, on the particular occasion that, uh, that Gerald was attacked. It was a, it was a, a big band night. Uh, they had, you know, hundreds of people there. They had the, um, Muddy Waters backup band, um, was there. These are the people who, as the title would suggest, backed up Muddy Waters for a number of years. They had appeared in, in the movie, the Blues Brothers. You also had South Carolina uh, blues guitarist, Drink Small. You had Fats Jackson, a great saxophonist from Atlanta, and Sweet Betty, an amazing uh, vocalist, also from Atlanta. They they came over and they were putting on, uh, you know, the, an iconic Jackson Station blues show when um, someone at about three o'clock in the morning uh, ran into the bar and shouted, Gerald has been attacked. Uh, Gerald has been in, in, in a fight. He's laying out in the parking lot. And uh, Gerald had been uh, assaulted by a patron with a bush axe. And uh, the bush axe had been lodged uh, three and a half uh, inches deep inside his skull. Wow. Um, and he, uh, Gerald, was known for being a peacekeeper. He was very good at managing people and reading people. And um, so it came as a shock to, I mean, obviously it would come as a shock for any reason, but in particular with a person like Gerald, that he could, uh, he did not uh, diffuse the situation enough to, I mean, he was, a, it was, he was blindsided. I don't think he was attacked in his face. He was attacked from the back, right? <sighs> Well, unfortunately, it's it's we don't know all of the details, and and I tried very carefully to kind of reconstruct 
what happened, um, you know, surrounding, you know, the context of the attack in the book there. But yes, I think it's safe to say that, that he, he did not see the blow coming and, um, and, uh, there was a discussion that was there, that there was some, um, question of, of whether or not a cover charge had been paid, whether or not a debt had been paid. Um, uh, some people tell me that there were basically two people involved in in this incident out in the parking lot, a fellow by the name of Terry Stogner and also a fellow by the name of, of, of Craig Douglas. And these were uh, two men from Greenwood who had been drinking together in Greenwood uh, that evening uh, down in the city of Greenwood, which is about 10 miles south of Hodges. And they had been consuming a fair bit of alcohol over the course of the night, and then they had decided to go up to uh, Jackson Station uh, to, to join the late night crowd there. Uh, Mama Jackson was on door. Um, if you talk to the, or if you read the, the court transcript, these men claimed that they uh, that they did pay a cover charge to get in. Um, I have a, a, a witness who said that they did not pay a cover charge to get in and that they uh, and that they uh, climbed over the railing to get in because Mama Jackson had sent them packing because of a of a debt that one of them had owed her from the time before. And uh, but what we do know is that they were inside the club and that they were kicked out of the club uh, by Gerald and the security guard. And then this fellow Stogner, he didn't uh, take too kindly to being kicked out of the club, and so he started to engage in a verbal uh, confrontation with with Gerald and uh, that uh, escalated very very quickly into a violent confrontation with a bush axe that led that left uh, Gerald uh, bleeding to death uh, on the in, on the dirt in the dirt parking lot outside the club right um, and and um, it rendered him um, totally disabled um, according to his doctor right um that he he was he was not dead but he, uh, I don't like to use the word vegetable, but he became pretty much vegetative, right? Yes, he was a he was a, uh, a quadriplegic. After that, um, it, it's incredible that that he didn't die immediately. Um, you right. know, given the nature of, of the attack, I mean, he was probably bleeding. Uh, and it takes about ten minutes for an ambulance to get to Jackson Station under the best of circumstances. And so around, you know, a round trip uh, would take at least 20 minutes. Um, and then you have the time that it took them to actually get there. And plus, you know, the time that they were in the park and so on. And so on. so it, it was probably it, it could have been almost an hour before they actually got him to a hospital. And it was a uh, three and a half inch deep gash into the right side of his head. Um Ouch. He, yes, he was completely incapacitated. He had some functionality with his uh, with with his right arm, um, but uh, from that moment on, he had to rely on the twenty uh, four hour care of other people, and, um, and 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 Steve was was a big part of that. Was a big part of his recovery. Yeah, um, and that's. Um in the, in the uh, blurb for your book is where the, that was the beginning of the end um, of the, uh, the place. Um, I, and, and he lived, uh, Gerald lived for several years. Uh, 20, Steve, 20 yeah. years actually after the attack. Yeah. 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 And Steve tried his best to keep it going. Um, I'm sure um, a lot of people uh, did their best. One of the things you mentioned uh, earlier is that um they were so generous to people. They let them keep tabs and pay later. And that was one of the issues that may have sparked this confrontation. Um, I want to ask you about what you think, because uh, there seems to be, you brought it out in the book, um, some, it's not necessarily agreement, whether this was actually uh, a hate crime um, or whether it was fueled simply by a bunch of frustration. Yeah. And, and that's a really interesting question. And I would say that, uh, the jury is still kind of out in my mind on that. Um, this was one of the reasons for why I, I embarked on the project in the first place uh, was to investigate this as a 
potential or you know hate crime and and so on. Um, there, it, it doesn't seem to be a hate crime in the sense that there was no language that, that in, in the court, you know, records and the police uh, transcripts and so on and so forth that that said that, you know, Gerald Jackson, you are an, an effing, you know, you know what or, uh, you know, and, and, and oftentimes it's that sort of hateful language which uh, which we associate with the commission of hate crimes. Um, so there doesn't seem to be any violent language uh, that was directed towards Gerald um, because of the fact that he was gay. Um, however, you know, in, in thinking about this for 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 so many years, you have to think about the power and the the animus behind a blow uh, of someone holding a bush axe. And uh, it, it sounds very gruesome, but you have to think about what it would take for one individual to actually strike another individual in the head with an instrument of that kind. And I think that you would have to be so filled with rage and so hateful yourself. I think that's the only way that it, that, that it could be carried out. Um Right, that makes sense. Um, it's it it, it it I guess it depends on your uh, perspective of the the people who were around at the time. Not very many people witnessed this, if at all. Um, most people were inside still. The parking lot did have a lot of history where a lot of things happened over the years, but it seems as though there weren't a lot of witnesses to 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 corroborate whether that those that kind of uh, uh, hateful language might have been spoken. Um, uh, the the. The fact that it, like uh, that Steve and and um, Mrs. Jackson uh, did their best to take to take the club to keep it going, there was so much invested in it, not only um, money but also their lives. Um, it changed everything. Tell us about what happened. Uh, it left. There was a court case, um, and and you get to that. It's a wonderful chapter. Um, but but um, I, I want to. Uh, impressed upon the readers that this is not just a shut uh, uh, open and shut case um it changed a lot of things but it also ushered in a lot of other things that were positive this this inclusion and diversity um that it it left in the dna of the region and the state um like i said earlier it it hasn't gone away It, it it's made an impact yes you are exactly right there um you know, Steve was in a very difficult position because his uh, companion, you know, his, his his lover, his his soulmate, had just been, you know, violently attacked. He was in the hospital. He couldn't feed himself. He couldn't, uh, you know, bathe himself. He couldn't, you know, he, he couldn't wipe his own, you know, behind. Um, he he, as, as I said before, he he was he was constantly uh, needed the care of. Of, of other people and 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 Steve was you know the best person for the job obviously because he had he, he'd loved and and cared for Gerald uh, but he also had a club to run right and um, and so he couldn't kind of be in in two places at 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 one time uh, his mother Gerald's mother Elizabeth also took the attack very very hard uh, she blamed herself for the attack and uh, and her health really went downhill. Uh, after after Gerald was was assaulted, um, and there came a time when Gerald could no longer get the care that he needed in Greenwood, and in, and he needed to go to Columbia. There's a VA hospital in Columbia, and, and as a veteran, uh, Gerald could go there, and so he had to move, and he had to move from from Greenwood to Columbia, and then Steve, Steve had this difficult decision about whether or not to go with him or to stay in Greenwood, and so he decided to go with him. And they shut down the club. Um, they just couldn't make it work. Um, you still had people showing up, um, you know, looking to party, looking to have a good time, looking to experience, you know, the wonderful music and, and the great culture and the vibes and so on and so forth. But, you know, there's obviously this big gray cloud, which is now hanging over the place because Gerald, uh, who's, you know, this was his lifelong project, uh, had been assaulted uh, on on the premises there. So they had to they had to shut it down, and actually, a few more people have tried to open up Jackson Station um, since uh, 1990 with very uh, limited success. I think I 
chronicle it in the book, but I think there's maybe there was maybe like three different sets of people who have, have tried to reopen the club and bring back the music. Um, but, uh, you know, a lot, there's much of, of, of the South, which has changed since that time period. Um, and, um, and uh, also it was very, very difficult to just kind of recreate the, uh, the original vision, I guess, that Gerald had and, and, and just the fact that, that he was so good at what he did. And, and, and Gerald was one of a kind in many ways. And, you know, right. once you he was just, gone. Yeah. You can't just replicate the chemistry that was there. You, that's, you can't, you can't buy that. You know? Precisely. No. Precisely. Um, but I think that, um, Jackson state, and this is one of the reasons that, that I, that I wrote the book is that it really tells a very interesting story about diversity in the South. And when people think of the South, uh, you know, they look at just the, the red and the blue. And for a long time, you know, going back to the new Georgia, blue Georgia discussion earlier, um, you know, the South has typically been quite solidly red and you might think, oh, all everyone in in South Carolina is a conservative Christian Republican, and oh, there's no there's no gay culture in in Hodges, South Carolina, or in the, in the South, and, and so on and so forth. And the book shows that there was, uh, and and I think that there still is, you know, incredible diversity uh, throughout the South, uh, throughout the South, rather, and it flies under the radar, um, but but you know, it's there. And and you know. oh, yes, that definitely, you're absolutely right. And it it it, it comes out in uh, in pockets and in, in big cities, but also in small towns, where people gather. They they allow themselves. They create a, a life for themselves in a, a culture that is predominantly uh, people who are not like them. So the LGBT community has, for decades and longer, uh, made themselves home at home, no matter where they are. Um, yes. And I find I find that aspect fascinating. Coming from there, I, I, I lived it myself, um, and now I live in New York City. So there's no such division. It's all we're all really, you know, all blended. And you're on the subway, you see all kinds of cultures all meshing together. But in the South, it is very distinct. When you see drag queens in the street, um, if it's not New Orleans, you're going to look again. <laughs> you know. Yes. You know, so, um, yeah, I find that uh, as a, a person from that community to be very endearing, actually, that the South has got it. It's still there. It's not scared people away. Uh, there are a lot of people like me who came for other opportunities, but that wasn't the reason I left. Uh, so um, the, the, and, and, and there's also this sense, I think, that, you know, South Carolina, I mean, you know, that our, our motto is, it, you know, is the, the I don't know if you've seen the the. the tree the palmetto tree right all right um, yeah. which which it evokes freedom and liberty really and um at the end of the day i think that south carolina well i should say jackson station was known for for allowing people to sort of live their lives to be free without um too much worry to be paid to other people's judgments. Um, you know, I, I think that we have this South, this, this image of the South that, that it is very, you know, puritanical and, and you have a lot of bigoted folks and so on and so forth, but um, people will also leave you alone it, to a certain extent, I think in the South. Right. Um, right. So it, the, there is a, an element of, of kind of creative autonomy, you know, there. Right, absolutely, and the um, and there's also a, a pervasive. Um, no matter where you come from in the South, you're taught to be polite, <laughs> whether right. it's uh, genuine or not. You're in, in polite company. You let people um, do what they want, and then um, it's behind their back <laughs> that you say things. You know. Um, yes. But uh, and, but let me tell you, um, I think that's everywhere, not just the South, where you have uh, the you know where where uh, you can get a lot of haters, no matter which place in the world you're going to be. Um, you know, they, it's just how it's treated. And like I said, um, the, the old Southern thing is, uh, bless your heart means, um, basically, you know, you're going to rot in hell, right. but, <laughs> but it, they're not going to say that to you in the same way in the streets of New York. It's aggressive. I learned that when I moved here, uh, people are very open and, and, uh, overt about mm-hmm. 
their bigotry. So they don't hold that in. They're, they're, they don't need to be polite up here. They don't feel like they need to be polite up here. Yeah. So I, I find that a cultural shift. So it is striving to be in the South, to go to go to the, uh, to go home again um, and find a lot of uh, evolution that has happened. And I look at Georgia, like you're talking about, and other places. Um, my home state of Louisiana was uh, not a red state when I was little. Um, it was a blue state, believe it or not, but it was a Dixiecrat. There were kind yeah. of that was a whole different kind of blue, but um, to see what's happened and, and to see what the changes that are happening, like I said, today um, or last night in Georgia, it, it makes you think that nothing is, is really – it makes you know that nothing is static. Nothing is, is staying the same, and, and um, you know, no matter what side of the aisle you're on, um, you got to be encouraged. Yes. that's At least that's, that's my takeaway message from it because I, I, I think that people have had enough of just this – xenophobia you know just this fear of difference and the cool thing about jackson station is that people actually appreciated the difference and 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 that was and difference was valued people did not want to be in this homogenous environment where everyone was just the same because that's totally boring right totally Um, boring yeah and and i think that hopefully we are reaching kind of a, a tipping point in maybe the public conversation that that where that sort of diversity and, and just respecting, you don't have to agree with everyone. You don't have to, um, you know, you don't have to always see, you know, eye to eye, but uh, that the, that demonizing the other, I think we, I think with, with, you know, what's going on over the last four years, I think we've, hopefully we have reached the limit of the demonization of the other. And, and hopefully we can go back to more of a, cosmopolitan, you know, sort of, uh, you know, more of a, a Catholic with a, with a C, you know, with a lowercase C, you know, uh, where more of a pluralistic, I guess, um, you know, cultural landscape where, where uh, everyone is valued. Yes. Hallelujah. Thank you. I think that um, I, if we get there, I would be so thrilled because um, I'm one of those people. I, I don't like uh, hostility. I don't think anybody really does. But some people feed off of it. Um, I, it, it pushes me away when I see ugliness. Um, I don't want to be I don't want to get online and be one of the screamers um, on, on either side. Um, and I, I, I don't understand how people thrive on that. But that's the culture. I think I hope that we're going to leave behind. I hope I hope you're absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and and I think that's kind of the neat thing about Jackson Station is that it sort of provided a model of what a place like that uh, and what a culture like that looks like. Right. Um, it's um, we're getting to a point where I got to watch the time. I want you to be able to talk about what's coming next for you, the things you're working on, um, and um, where do you see um, that this uh, the, the 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 movement that's happening that we just talked about. Where do you think we'll be if you can project? Um, if you if you uh, feel as though um, the uh, uh, the culture is going to shift too much, are we going to make incremental movements? Uh, I'd love some some broad strokes predictions yeah. from you. Chica. Well, um, as far as the, the the next project goes, I'm, I'm I, I don't have a big kind of book length you know project in mind like I did when I finished uh, making sense of, of Marshall Ledbetter, um, which is probably fine actually because you know books take a very long time to to research and write and um, you know there's lots of other things that that I'd like to be doing other than you know just sit behind my my computer you know typing writing can be a very solitary activity but I, I am involved with a couple of projects um, I don't know if you know too much about Benjamin Mays, who was the the mentor of Martin Luther King, um, but he, funnily enough, is from Greenwood County, South Carolina as well. And he grew up in, mm. in, in, in Epworth and uh, in the Jim Crow South and uh, went off to Bates College and then the University of Chicago. And then he was uh, for you know 40 years, he was the president of, uh, of, of Morehouse College, and that's where he met Dr. King and so on and so forth. So I'm working on a comparative study uh, of Dr. Of, of Mays and W.E.B. Du, du Bois, actually, um, wow. who was wow. a, a very you know famous African-American sociologist. And I think that Mays and Du Bois both are just very important uh, thinkers and individuals for, uh, for our uh, – for our current moment, to be honest with you. Um, Excellent. Um, that's fascinating. I think, um, I think there's so much to be told. Um, and, and um, your book 
um, we're, we're coming to the, uh, the place where I have to uh, wrap it up. But the, your book, Live at Jackson Station, um, this music community and tragedy in Southern Blues Bar, I want the listeners to understand that um, there's a lot of work that went into this book. It's very apparent. Congratulations. But it, and not but, and it reads like a thriller. It is such a page turner. You are, you are, uh, you, you should meet with only amazing success. <laughs> um, I completely enjoyed, the, got immersed in this book, loved it. I read a lot because of, I just liked reading, but um, this is one of those books that when you hear it's, um, you know, from it's research based and all that, you sometimes you think, oh, what's this going to be about? I had to shift my brain. Uh, no, no, this, you bring us right in. You do you 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 note things beautifully. You back it all up, um, but you tell a great story. That's what I want the listeners to know. This is an amazing book. Well, thank you, Morris. I really appreciate that. I, I, that really makes me happy to because that means that I've done something right, and, and hopefully, uh, hopefully, you won't be the only person who has that particular uh, reaction to it. But I'm I'm like you. I, I I like the 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 books which will kind of challenge your thinking and your intellect and so on and so forth, but there came a point in my career where I just kind of stopped being excited uh, about reading, you know, scholarly academic journal articles and things. Right. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and hopefully I've succeeded because, um, because it should be a book that you can read fairly quickly. And, and I would say there's actually four or five kind of mini books in there in a way uh, there's, Absolutely. Yes. And, and that the narratives, I try to tie up the narratives kind of all together. And so you could kind of dive into it, you know, by looking at kind of the, the, the Gerald and Steve kind of relationship. You could look at that angle. You could look at the music, look at the the community aspect of it and and, and the history and the trains and, and so on and so forth. Um, well, um, bravo again, you've done a beautiful job. Um, the book is out this month, January, 2021, um, in a couple of weeks, I'm thinking after this recording is released. Um, so, um, it's, it can be available where all the books are sold on online as well as in bookstores. I'm sure, um, it deserves a wide readership. Um, I think you'll get it because like you just said, the interest should come from people of all walks of life. There's so many great stories stories within this story um congratulations again daniel um i really appreciate you. you coming on and sharing this with us it's uh the people involved it definitely uh voices uh, queer voices of the south you've represented um from the uh, gerald and steve story but there's so much more than that so um congratulations we appreciate it well i really appreciate you thanks a lot morris thank you goodbye everybody join us again next time <laughs>